Father, we praise you, God, that we bring our best laid plans to you, Lord. And a lot of times, Lord, you rearrange and reorganize and make it something that's way better and, uh, and perfect, God. And Lord, thank you that we can come before you and trust you with everything. And God, as we come to your word tonight, I'm asking God, would you give us just hearts ready to receive, God? Would you, Lord, would you open up our eyes? Would you open up our ears, God, and, and, and our hearts most of all, Lord, to receive those things that you want to speak into them? God, we submit ourselves to you. We call you Lord. We call you Master. And so, Father, as your word goes out, I'm asking, would you teach us, Lord, what it looks like? to follow you hard. Lord, would you teach us, God, what it looks like to, to trust you even more than we did when we walked in the door tonight? God, have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you guys, last week, you remember, we left those few Israelites that were coming along with Ezra. Remember, it was about four to 5,000 people total. So not many people. Remember, the last time was Zerubbabel. It was 50,000, around 50,000. It was a little less, but Around 50,000, like 47,000 something, right? So, but around 50,000 people went back on the initial time. This is almost 70 years later. Ezra was able to gather up around 4,000 to 5,000 people, including women and children, right? And so this was not much. And we looked at a lot of different things. We looked at the fact that they were there. And whenever they got there, Ezra counted the people. And guess who wasn't there? There was not one Levite. The people that... Really, the only reason Ezra was going back was to teach them the law of God and all the people that were actually tasked with that duty by birth didn't come along. They were too lazy, to be perfectly honest. They were too content. They weren't ready to get out of their own comfort zone. And so he had to go basically out and, and say, hey guys, come on, like we need some. And they only got like 38. They only got a few. So this is not necessarily looking good for the people of Israel in a way, right? Because man, like, yeah, they've got these four to 5,000 going back, but it's like, dude, the whole reason, I, I mean, and we talked a little bit about this before, right? But the fact is, when God gave them permission to go back from Babylon, one would have hoped for something that looked a lot more like Egypt. One would have hoped for the entirety of the people going back, right? I, I, I think that was the plan, but it was something that these people, man, they just had grown comfortable. They had literally chased after Babylon. And what does Babylon represent in the New Testament? The world. They were happy and comfortable in the world, and they didn't want anything to do with it. And what has Ezra written about, you guys? It's written about the people that got out of their comfort zone and went back, not about the people that stayed back in Babylon. And so here we have these four to 5,000, and that they're, they're at the river Ahava. And remember, we looked at the very end, we looked at the fact that they fasted for three days. Why? Well, to seek God for safety on their trip. Remember, Ezra had told the king, King Artaxerxes, he had said, like, God's going to keep us safe. God's got this. We trust God. And so he said there at the end, he's like, look, man, like, I, I didn't really, I felt ashamed in verse 22 of uh, this chapter. It said, I felt ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of God is upon all those for good who seek him. You guys, Ezra was like, look, we need to fast and pray to God because I, we're not going with protection. And we're going to look tonight at the fact that they were bringing and we've looked already, right? The king gave a ton of stuff to them. 
they had free will offering from those Jews that were like, we're happy being here. We're happy with our servants. We're happy with our Teslas. We're happy with our Camrys and our cars. We're happy with our little mini McMansions. We like what we got. We don't want to leave it. But here's a little extra money because we don't really need it. We've got plenty. And so all this free will offering, all this stuff was given to them to go on this trip and they didn't have any protection on the trip. Kind of crazy, right? So Ezra called this fast to ask God and say, oh Lord. And I, I, I need you guys to hear this. I don't think Ezra's heart was proud in this moment. There's a difference, right? If you're going to fast for God because you're like, oh God, I've made this extremely just wrong statement. I, I should have asked for protection and I didn't. And now you got to save my bacon. Like, don't we pray prayers like that? Am I the only one? We pray prayers like that at times, don't we? I don't feel like that was really Ezra's heart. I think it was this. I think he wanted God to move and to protect them for God's sake. We heard that from Moses a lot, where Moses would be like, God, for your own sake, help your people, <laughs> right? Like, oh my gosh, like we know what we deserve, God, but like just do something for your own sake. Remember that? Like whenever he was going into the promised land and even and stuff like that, he, Joshua, there were different times that they would reach out to God and be like, oh God, would you move for your own sake? I think that's what it was. I don't think it had anything to do with Ezra's pride or even his hide. Right? I don't think he was trying to save his own skin. I think he was genuinely saying, God, will you show yourself faithful in this? Kind of like the prayer I would imagine Moses when he's at the Red Sea and says, like, God, you got to do something because this sea is right in the way of us. What are you going to do? Right? And he's like, put your, put your staff in the water. Right? And he's like, I don't know what that's going to do. Push. Right? And he's like, that's what it's going to do. All right, let's go. <laughs> right? So I think that's what's going on here. And tonight, you guys, we're going to look at kind of the trip and then how it all went down when Ezra arrived on the scene there. And so let's start reading here, verse 24 in the book of Ezra. Here we go. Chapter 8 says this. And I separated 12 of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of his brethren with them. Thank you, Lord, for not naming all those names. And weighed out to them the silver and gold and the articles the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their, I weighed into their hand 650 talents of silver. This is not something that he obviously put in his hand. That's like a lot of tonnage, <laughs> right? He, but he put it in their care, right? I weighed into their hand 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth 1,000 drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. So you guys, there's a lot to talk through here. So Ezra took all of this free will offering, this, these gifts that have been given by King Artaxerxes, by the princes, by the Jews, and the, even the Babylonians, right? Like some of the Babylonians may have given, who knows? They gave, all these gifts were given to them to take back to the temple. And so here they are, and they, they take all these things, and Ezra's like, look, there's no way I can deal with all this. So he divides it out among these 
12 priests and some Levites apparently too. Some, just this is random. Some people say that it was 24 people that it was handed out to. I just don't read that there. So I don't know where they get that number that they were like, I guess they're assuming that there was a Levite assigned to a priest and so there were 24 total. But I see 12, so I'm going with 12. 12 priests is what we know for sure they were handed out to, but then at the end it says, and the Levites, whatever. We don't know exactly the number, but at least these 12 priests, they were the ones that were ultimately responsible here. And I need us to understand something, you guys. This was millions of dollars of valuables. By the modern day, this is like millions of dollars of stuff. This is not, even about amongst 12 individuals, this is still a lot for each person to be in control of. And what does he say there? He says, look, you're going to be traveling with this. We've done this three-day fast for protection. Do you understand why? Ezra was like, oh God, you got to help us. We're carrying millions of dollars here with no help, with no protection. God, you've got to be our protection. You've got to help us. The fact is, you guys, traveling with this kind of treasure, it's not like this was on like their, their phone, right? That they were like, oh, it's safe. It's got blockchain protection, right? This wasn't like that. This wasn't even like what we saw during the, uh, you know, the, the times of the, uh, do you guys know like the, um, uh, the knights, the Templar knights? The reason the Templars even existed was whenever they were going into Jerusalem back in the medieval times, the Templars were like the first bank. They'd be like, give us your money here and we'll give you your money that you gave us here. We'll give it to you there because we have it. And it was kind of like the first banking system. That was not what was here. No, they've got these things on carts and they're walking. There's bandits that are available that are seeing this. This road was a traveled road. People knew this. It was a well-known fact, even during this time, that the bandits would just set up a roadblock, take your stuff, kill you if you were unlucky, leave you alive with nothing left if you were lucky, and just take your stuff. It was a very common thing. We see that even during the time of Paul and Peter and all them, right? So the fact is, is that they were sure to draw bandits and roadblocks with all this treasure. And there's a lot of people, four to 5,000 people with women and children. Trust me, this is a slow-moving caravan. We know it took them four months, right? 900 miles. Ezra charged these 12 priests, you guys, not to just carry the stuff to the temple, but here's the deal. He said, look, we're going to weigh it on the way out, and we're going to weigh it when we get it there. And there better not be a penny missing. These 12 are responsible. This is a big deal. They willingly took the responsibility of leadership, even though, you guys, it meant more danger for them. Who do you think the bandits are going to go try to take out? The ones with all the stuff, right? The kid that's just like, walking. I doubt they're like carrying much. He doesn't have anything on him. No, we're going to go for the guy that's carrying all that gold. That's the guy we're going to take out. Meant more danger. It meant a huge burden. What if somebody that was in their little crew or around them accidentally while they weren't looking stole something and they got there and the weight was less than what they had, turned, what they had been given? That would have meant something. That would have meant, A, at a minimum, that their word was not good, right? But it would have meant more. It would have meant that you kind of disobeyed King Artaxerxes who said, this stuff is for there. It's a huge deal. This was a big burden. And I believe we can learn a lot from this, you guys. First, I got to say what I see very clearly is that there's a clear responsibility for the church to manage what the church receives. We need to manage that well. And I think that should go without saying, shouldn't it? But how often do we see pastors falling for embezzling? How often do we see board members taking money? How often do we see churches 
buying their pastors multi-million dollar homes and using church money for that. I just don't think that's right, you guys. I'll let you know my house doesn't cost even close to half a million. I like my home. It's nice. But I don't need, we don't need in the church to be spending our money on those things. God has a mission for that money, amen? So this should go without saying, but I want you to notice here that Ezra took the time to pick leaders that were trustworthy. They were going to steward what they were given response and and given the responsibility over. They were going to steward it well. You guys, I want you guys to know as a church here that the board, that we pray over this stuff all the time. We don't just come up here and pray for the tithes and offerings as a way to remind you that there's a little box on the wall that you need to be giving in. That is not the point of that. The reason we pray is a sincere prayer of, oh God, give us wisdom and discernment to know what this looks like. Lord, how do we help those out in the community that are probably on drugs? How do we, Lord, how do we help them? How do we help them with gas and money, but in a way that doesn't help them buy drugs? These are real questions that real churches have to ask all the time. We ask God and say, Lord, give us wisdom to know what to do with these things. Where do we put this money? How do we use it? So the one last thing I want to do before we move on to the other part of this is this. Can I encourage you guys, church body, to be in prayer for us? It's not an easy thing. It's a huge responsibility. And the fact is, is that I don't want to get to heaven. And, for, and I know the board feels the same way, that none of us want to get to heaven and be like, oh man, we totally misspent that $100. Oh man, we totally just blew that for no reason. You guys, it took so long to just do the backdrop because I was like, God, is this even important? Do you understand? Like, I want to take every bit of the money that God gives us seriously, and, I, and we do, and I, I covet your prayer. We covet your prayer as a board to just continue to give us wisdom because honestly, yeah, we've willingly taken this burden, but it's a burden. Life would be a lot easier without money, wouldn't it be? It'd be a lot easier, but guess what? It was the same here as it is now. <laughs> money is a thing, and we can't get around it. And so God, give us wisdom to do with it what he wants to do, Amen. So, the second thing I want us to look at is this. God has given us each gifts and good works to walk in, hasn't he? Not just finances. Because if we took polls here, if everybody had a little, you know, number of what you make every year above your head, we might be like, wow, you make a lot more than I thought you did. Or, wow, you make nothing, right? Like, oh, and you're 10, so obviously you make allowance, right? <laughs> you get my point? Like we, we have all these different numbers that might be above our head, but the reality is, you guys, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our time. And I'm also talking about those spiritual gifts that God provides to each one of us. We are all gifted by God. And the question is, what are we doing with it? Or we are entrusted, you guys, by God with those gifts. And guess what we're supposed to do with those? Steward them well. Flip over with me to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, y'all. We got a few little tabs in my Bible. That means that's where we're jumping. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 6. says this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching and he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives 
with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. A couple things I want to point out here before we move on, you guys. It says, he uh, having then gifts accord, uh, differing according to the grace that is given to us. I've heard some people say like, yeah, because I don't really have that many gifts because God just didn't want to pour out the grace. No, what he's saying is this. God's grace is so sufficient that we all have gifts. So whatever your gift is, you're supposed to be using it. And I also want to point out one other thing. Whenever I say, it's, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, I've also heard people say like, well, if you, you've got to have a lot of faith to prophesy. No, here's what that literally means. What he's saying is, as you're willing to say, God, I have faith that you're going to use my heart, even in this crazy thing, like saying something that I don't fully understand, that's what it's saying. The faith that you need to prophesy is not some exorbitant faith. It's a faith to say, God, I'm going to say something even though if might not mean anything. We are all capable of prophecy. Do you understand that? If you've never done that, can I just be honest? I would encourage you guys to ask God to give you a word, to give you words. I've gone up to people, and listen, there have been times I've gone up to people, I'm like, look, God's told me I'm supposed to say this to you, and they've broken down in tears because it was exactly the thing God wanted to say. I've also had times just being really honest that I've gone up, and I'm like, I feel like God wants me to say this, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I'm like, okay, (laughs) right? Do you get my point? I have faith that God's going to move. And I also have faith that he's never going to mess up. And if I do, he's got grace for me. Don't be afraid of using the gifts that God's given you, even if they're super uncomfortable for you. Flip over with me now to 1 Peter. That's a few books back there to the right. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Starting in verse 10, it says this, As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's the point of our gifts, you guys? To bring God glory. Period. End of story. Listen, here's the deal. Flip back over with me to the book of Ezra. Here's the truth. When we get to heaven, we will be held accountable for the things that we've done with the gifts God given us. God's given us. Do you understand that? Now, what's that accountability going to look like? Remember, the blood of Christ is on your life. It's not like you're going to be kicked out of heaven because you didn't use the gifts. It's not the point, you guys. But the reality is we have this thing called Haywood and Stubble. You guys know about that? When we get to heaven, all of the stuff, all of our actions that we've done in our lives, all that stuff is going to be, I mean, kind of like proverbially proverbially piled up, right? The house we've built is going to be kind of standing before us. And God's going to put the holy fire of perfection to it. And the stuff that's going to be left is the stuff that we've done for his kingdom. The stuff that's going to burn up is all of our garbage. And here's the truth. We're all going to have some hay, wood, and stubble, aren't we? I mean, I've definitely got plenty in mine. But man, I'm praying that in my latter years, there's less than there was in my former years. Isn't that the prayer for all of us? Those things that we have the opportunity to just be used by God and because God has gifted us in them, those, you guys... They're for God's kingdom and they're going to be rewarded. Last, last scripture here. Flip over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. 
It says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. What day is that? The day of salvation, right? The day of judgment when we stand before the Lord. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which, has, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but listen to this, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You guys, salvation is not what's at risk here. Hear me on that. You guys need to hear that. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking, you guys, about the gifts that God has put in your care. What are you doing with them? And I do feel like there's a direct correlation to these 12 men that said, God, I willingly take on this responsibility and I will make sure that they are ferried all the way and arrive well. And for us, you guys, we're on a trip and our trip is longer than four months. Or maybe it's one or more day. We have no idea what our trip looks like, do we? But the reality is we're on this trip until God comes back or takes us home. What are we doing with the things that God's given us? What are we doing with them? Spurgeon had this to say about our lives and the gifts we've been given. He says this. It's a really long quote. You guys ready? It says this. The question which we should ask, uh, which we should each one ask of the Lord is that which Paul asked on the way to Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? When that question is once answered and you, dear friend, know your proper place in the body of Christ and have taken that place, whatever it may be, I think that your next desire will be that you may be in the best spiritual health, that you may be as vigorous as you can be, that little though you, may, you ever may have to place at the Lord's disposal, in other words, even if it's the tiniest of gifts that you have to give God, yet that the best use may be made of that little. Does that make sense? What Spurgeon is saying is like, look, even if your gift in your estimation is the tiniest of all gifts, even if your gift is nothing more than the tiniest thing by human estimation, give it to God and watch him do something big with it. That's what he's saying. It's a big deal, you guys. No matter what gift God has given you, whether obvious or unknown to you at this moment, whether it's an abundance of gifts like some people have, don't you kind of hate them sometimes, right? You got to like struggle through your own like covetousness when you're like, man, you made, what gift don't you have, dude, right? Like, you know, people like that or whether you're a person that's just like, dude, I know my gift and it's one gift and I'm going to use it for God's glory. Can I just tell you, man, that it doesn't matter what your gift is. If it's abundance or one, God wants to use your gift for his kingdom. God wants to use your gift specifically, Great Bay Calvary, in this context, in the church, to, to be part of the body, whatever part you're called to be. 
These 12 men in this context were called to be in more danger than the others and to ferry this stuff across. That was their call in this moment. And God gifted them to get that across. God has gifted you. What is your gift? And you may be here tonight. You may be like, I have no idea what my gift is. And tonight we're going to spend some time in prayer just asking God, Lord, what is my gifts? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the reality is, you guys, God wants to use you and your gifting for his glory. And all he asks of us, you guys, is a willingness, a willingness to give back what he's freely given to you. It's not yours anyway. There's no lack of opportunity, you guys, to steward God's gifts in your life well. The only question really is the will of the believer. Where are you and will you be willing to carry the burden of responsibility of the gift that God's given you? Are you willing to be out of your comfort zone to see God move? Because I promise you, if it's a gift that's supernatural and it's his to give, it's not you anyway, you guys. I can tell you something. I believe that there's a difference between gifts that God just has like poured out on you at birth. Drums are one of those for me. At six years old, I was kind of like tapping on stuff. By eight, I was sitting behind a drum kit. Like that just came naturally to me. Not that I'm fantastic or great. I'm just saying it's not hard for me. It's something that I just get. But do you know what I don't do naturally? Stand in front of a bunch of people and talk. This is totally uncomfortable. This is a supernatural gifting I feel like the Lord has given me. There's a difference. This isn't comfortable. But I do it because I want to be submissive to God. And so I want to encourage you guys in this. There are giftings that you're going to be like, I like this. I'm good at this. Use it for God's glory. There's going to be giftings that you feel like the Lord is calling you into that I promise you, I don't know that you'll ever be comfortable with, but you grow in the ability to do it as you just submit yourself to God in it. That's an awesome opportunity. Are you ready and willing to be out of your comfort zone to see God move? Are you ready to take part in his plan for your life? You guys, it requires your time and your effort and your energy to just submit to God. It required these 12 men to say, yes, I'm willing to carry this extra weight, this extra burden, to to be the ones that are going to be attacked first if we get attacked. All these things, yes, I'm willing to do that. I think that's what God's asking of us. Are we willing to just give him everything? Verse 31 says this. Then we departed from the river of Ahava. On the, they're just now leaving. <laughs> then we departed from the river of Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. So he just took a four-month, 900-mile trip and condensed it into two verses. And all he says about the whole trip is that, yeah, we were in God's hand. We were safe in God's hand. Does that mean that he went the whole trip without incident? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll tell you a couple reasons why. I believe that we're not really told either way, so take this for what it's worth. But here's why I believe that maybe they still came across people that were bandits and and wanted to ambush them. And that is this. He delivered us from the hand of the enemy. He delivered us. What does that require? If you're going to be delivered from something, that means something came upon you, right? So that makes sense to me. Could God have done it supernaturally where the bandits were just blind to the whole process of them moving across? Absolutely. I'm not, I have no idea. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But it just seems to me illogical to see the road that has traveled that much that everybody knows what's up with that and that they're not just, they're going to be like, oh, hey, God's hands upon them. No, 
I think God delivered them supernaturally. I think there was supernatural things and natural things, protection that they brought, that they fought for. And they got all of it through to Jerusalem. What I love about this, though, is that do you notice Ezra doesn't recount every last little thing that goes on in the whole trip. He's just like, look, God delivered us. We're here. We're here and we're safe. Can I just say this to you guys? We're equally in God's hands. We are equally in God's hands, you guys. As Christians, can I just say this? We're on the trip and where's the destination? Heaven. We're heading to heaven, you guys. We are going to hit snags on the road to life, aren't we? We are. We're going to have bandits that try to attack us. We're going to have roadblocks in our life. Probably all of us here, maybe, may, I don't know, maybe, you know, these young ones over here, maybe, just maybe, they're like, oh, the worst I've had so far is a broken nail. No, I don't know, right? They're like, no, that's not true. No, you guys, look, we all have stuff in our lives. And the older we get, the more stuff stacks up, right? The more we can look back over the road and be like, whoo! Because I want to thank you for praying for my wife. And I know that's in the middle of this whole thing, but I just, I do want to thank you because this has been a roadblock for us. This has been something we've been walking through with my wife and the surgery and all that stuff. And you guys, it's a blessing to have a church family that comes around you. It's definitely helpful. But the fact is, you guys, is this still ranks up there with some bandits and roadblocks doesn't it? It's not like we're like, yes, sweet. Got my body cut open and things ripped out. Good. <laughs> right? Like nobody likes that stuff. You guys, the fact is, is that we will have struggles. We have fights on our hands. And just as I would suspect Ezra and this crew of 5,000 had fights and had things on their hands that they had to walk through during this trip, God saw them through it and God will see us through it. Amen. Because the reality is, you guys, we will arrive in heaven. If you're here today, or you're watching online, or you listen to this later, and you know that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sins, and you accept that that's the only way to heaven, you will get there. You will get there. So even if the worst roadblock comes against you, even if a bandit comes against you and puts a bullet in your head, you win. And I need us to get our head around that. That's the worst. We'll be like, whoa, that's the best <laughs> for you. I mean, your family, that's horrible. But like for you, dude, I'm home. That was quick. Do you get what I'm getting at, you guys? Look, we can trust God. God will see us through it. We are going to arrive in heaven. We will be able to say in heaven about our trip, the hand of God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. You guys, we were delivered the moment Jesus died and we accepted it. We were delivered from the hand of the enemy. Does that mean the enemy doesn't like to set up roadblocks and fights and all that stuff? No. I wish it did, but it doesn't. But we are delivered from the hand of the enemy. We can hold on to that promise. Amen? So, can I just say what a blessing it is to walk through this life? Like, let's get our heads around that, you guys. With its hardship, with its struggle, knowing that God's hand is upon our lives. Knowing that we're already delivered from the enemy because of the precious blood of Christ. You guys, it's a blessing. I don't know if you all saw the reason that Daytona and Jake took off is Daytona's knee totally dislocated and she came here anyway to serve. That's awesome. I'm not saying that to build her up other than to say that, man, to me, I, we were praying in the back and I'm like, God, you know what? We get new bodies and so Lord, I want to go in hobbling. Not because I'm trying to beat up this body, but because I want nothing left when I get to heaven. I want to go in and be like, whoa, hair on fire, crazy ride, Lord. That was awesome. I'm ready for this new thing because this one shot, right? Like that's how I want to get to heaven. Isn't that how we all want to get to heaven, you guys? Man, 
So what did they do when they got to Jerusalem? They rested. They took three days to rest. They had plenty of reason to rest, you guys. They were taking this time knowing what? Knowing that they had just arrived, but they had a lot of work ahead of them. What do they got to do? They got to weigh all the stuff out that they brought all that way and that they kept safe. They've got to weigh all that out one by one by one to get it into the temple. They've got work ahead of them. Let's read about that. Verse 33, it says this. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, old Phinehas and Ferb. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, Nobadi- uh, the son of Benui. With the number and weight of everything, all the weight was written down at this time. So Ezra made sure that all the weights were annotated before they left. And this may seem like a small thing, but it's a huge thing. Why? Because these people were entrusted with this responsibility. And can I just say this? When we are entrusted with a responsibility, whether large or small, do you know why else was a big deal? Here's the why. When we're entrusted with something, no matter how big or small it is, we get one chance to be faithful in that responsibility. We get one chance to be faithful in that particular responsibility, don't we? You guys, these 12 men were faithful. They made sure that each and everything that they had been tasked to bring was accounted for and turned in. And I think we need to hear that again. We have one chance to be faithful in the responsibility we're given. There are people in churches that I've been part of, not really this church, but other churches And they're begging, oh man, we want to do this and we want to be on stage and we want to do that and we want to do this and we want to do that. And so the pastor will say like, yeah, man, you just help me out with this one thing. And then they don't show. Can I tell you what they don't get? They don't get to be on stage and they don't get to do all these other things. Why? Because they had their one chance to be faithful in something and they weren't. We need to hear this church. It doesn't matter. Do you understand that the world and the way it goes around is that you're given something small to start with. And if you're faithful in that, God even says in his word, I'm going to give you something small. And then if you're faithful in that, I'm going to give you more. It's the way things go. And so can I just say, let's look at our responsibilities in this world, in our workplace, in our family life, in the way we treat one another, in the words that we say, like when we say, yeah, I can help you, and hold to our word. Like hold to our word because guess what? We have one chance in that particular responsibility to show ourselves faithful, you guys. The reality is, is that I hear a lot of things from a lot of people. I'm sure y'all do too. Yeah, man, I'm here. Yes, I'm good. I got this. I'll see you next week. Everything, yes, yes, yes. And then you don't see him for three months. Or you, you say, man, like we're gonna do this and everybody's like, yep, yep, yep. I sign up, I sign up, I sign up. And then we have two people <laughs> come. It's a bummer, and God's faithful to get things done, so it's not like it's all on that person that didn't show. But can I just say, they had one chance to be faithful in that responsibility, and they didn't do it, and that's a bummer because they missed out. So, Charles Spurgeon says this, though, and I want to say this because it sounds like I'm being kind of hard, doesn't it? This idea of having one chance, and I bet all of us, me included, can all think of something in our lives, maybe even in the past couple weeks, that we're like, ah, I blew that one, (laughs) right? Grace is important. 
we cannot forget God's grace. So here's this quote by Charles Spurgeon that I love. It says, gifts are good, but grace is better. Get gifts, spiritual gifts, but also get grace. And above all, get the best grace, the noblest grace, the greatest grace, that is love. For love to God and love to your fellow men and love to the church of God, this is a more excellent way. What am I trying to say here, you guys? Yes, we need to learn to be responsible, but we also need not forget God's grace in our own lives. But can I also say this? In the lives of others, because you will be let down by people in this church. Do you know why? Because our church is full of of humans. I'm going to let you down. Why? Because I'm human. Do I want to? No, God forbid. I don't want to. I want to just walk in the spirit 100% of the time. Do I? No, (laughs) I wish I did. Don't you all wish you did too? So we got to have grace one for another, you guys. That's the bigger thing. That's the more excellent gift. The biggest gift we have for one another is grace. But also the biggest gift we have to give is the gifts that God's given us to be used for the betterment of, of each other and for God. Amen? Verse 35 says this. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. You guys know what that means, right? It means they didn't save the meat and eat it later. It just burned. Burned all of it. There wasn't anything left. This was just meat that they gave to God entirely. They didn't gain anything from this physically. Verse 36, it says, and they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and to the governors in the region beyond the river. Remember that old, old Tatooine. And so they gave support to the people and the house of God. So Ezra and his crew, they got there in four days. They handed it all over, all the stuff that they had brought. And then all those sacrifices, all those things, all those animals that they had brought across that were given to them to do what? To sacrifice. They sacrificed. They gave it all away. You guys, I need us to get our head around this. In the Old Testament, what was sacrifice to the Lord? It was a chance to fellowship with him, right? The veil had not been torn yet. The only way that they could really interact with God, the only way that they could really ask God for forgiveness for sins was through the blood of a sacrifice, And so here they are and they're sacrificing for a sin offering and they're just giving it as a burnt offering. They're like, here you go, God. Here is a goat and here is cows and all these animals, these bulls, these things that we could use to make more animals, these things that we could use for meat, these things that we could use for milk, all of this stuff, God, we give to you willingly and here it is and it's just gonna be burnt up. It's all for you. And so they give over all these things. They take full advantage, you guys, of the ability to fellowship with God. And I need us to understand that. Why is that so amazing? Listen, they had the distinct privilege of communing with God in a way that none of the people that stayed comfortable back in Babylon had. Think about this. They traveled all this way. They came all this way, and then they get there, and they're like, oh God, I get to do something I've never done in my life because do you notice it says it's the children of those that were in exile. They had never seen the temple. They had never been to Jerusalem. And here they are and they arrive and they're 
parents had told them and they're like, oh yes. And we looked at the fact that last week, a lot of these families were the sons and the daughters and the kids and the, and the cousins and all that of the families that were already there. And so they're like, we have already had family that was faithful to go and here we are and we're going and now we get to partake in this and we get to take part in this special moment with God that other people are missing out on willingly. You guys, they took full advantage. They took advantage of communing with God in the way that God had given them at this point in history. Do you guys see the sacrifice of praise that was poured out here? They traveled all this way to do what? They came with all this baggage, quote unquote, for what? To give it away willingly. To say, here you go, God. It's all yours anyway. Take it. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they desired God more than their comfort. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be where God desired them to be. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the hardship, regardless of the discomfort. And can I just say something to us? Jesus has made it wide open. For all of humanity, Jesus has made the door wide open. The veil is torn. We do not have to sacrifice animals anymore. He was the perfect spotless lamb for us. There is no more need for that. But guess what, you guys? There's still a cost, isn't there? He paid our eternal cost, but there's a cost to our lives. What does that cost? Calling him Lord means he's your master. He tells you what to do. It's not the other way around. That's why Jesus said, count the cost before you come to me. And a lot of Christians, I don't think, have counted it. They're still content to stay in Babylon. And they're missing out. The hardship, you guys, remains. Health and wealth gospel would tell you otherwise, but I don't know about you all, but like, there's still surgery. I've gotten some phone calls recently that I found interesting because they were telling us that we don't have enough faith and that's why Grace had to have surgery, which is so heartbreaking to hear. Because I'll tell you what I do have faith in. I have a faith in a perfect, all-powerful God that could literally do anything he wants in a snap of a finger, in less than a snap of a finger, in less than it would take me to get the words out of my mouth. But you know what else I know? I know God works his good in all things. And I'm okay with us having to go through some hardship here because you know what that does for me? It makes me say, Maranatha, Lord, come back because I'm ready for the new body. I'm ready for the new body. Could God heal? Absolutely. But the fact is we're still going to have hardship in this life. We're still going to have discomfort. That remains. Jesus made that abundantly clear, didn't he? There'd be no count to cost to count if everything was easy after we accepted Christ. It's counterintuitive to the entire gospel, uh, health and wealth gospel message, isn't it? Hey, man, if you have enough faith, you'll never get sick. You'll apparently never die. I mean, uh, you're just great. Everything's good. You have all this money. You'll drive Lamborghinis and live in mansions. Everything's great. Is that the reality? No. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He suffered and died for you. Every one of the disciples died a martyr's death. Every one of the apostles, except John, who had it worse because he was boiled alive in oil and survived it. I would have been like, oh God, can I be done? And then after he survived it, they're like, go break rocks at Patmos, which is where we got the book of Revelation. And then after that, you guys, he came back and, and church history tells us that they had to bring him into the churches where he would speak on, a, on like a blanket sideways because he couldn't even stand anymore. And so they would bring him in and lay him down and he would just be like, love everybody. He lived a long life, you guys. He had it the worst. 
You guys, there's stuff here in this life. Have we counted the cost? God is wide open. He's made a wide open way for us as Christians. My prayer, you guys, is that we would be a church like these people that we're reading about, not the church back in Babylon. Willing to pay whatever cost just to know God more. Willing to grow in the depth. Why and how? By following God into the uncomfortable things. You want less than a shallow faith? You want, some, or you want more than a shallow faith? You want something that's growing deeper? It requires of you a following of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I promise you, just based on my own life, anytime I've grown in depth, it's always required me to be very uncomfortable. I've never had a time when I've grown in a lot of depth in my walk with the Lord that was just smooth sailing and skating. It always required something more of me. No matter how much hardship or discomfort, you guys, I pray that we're a church that is following him, that is bringing our lives for whatever they're worth, whatever little gifts or big gifts, whatever things we have. And I'm not talking about your finances because America is replete with finance. There's no reason the church should ever be concerned about that because the Americans in this world have plenty of money. The poorest American makes a lot more money than people in Africa, most people. So that's not what I'm talking about here. You know what I'm talking about? Something that's even more valuable to pretty much everybody here. Time. Your time. Where your heart really is. What you want to do with your time. That's what I'm talking about, you guys. You want to grow in depth? Get uncomfortable. You guys, in each one of these moments, as we follow God, we can rest in his promise that he is working all things together for good. We serve a faithful God, amen? amen. We trust an all-powerful God, don't we? Amen. Do you guys think that if he calls you to do something and you're like, God, I don't know about that. That's really uncomfortable that he's going to be like, how about it? Boom! And just leave you alone. No! He's going to be like, I'm with you. Let's do this. It's okay if you mess it up a little. I got you. I'm going to work it for good. I read something by Spurgeon in this whole thing that I found today, you guys. I was reading literally a sermon that Spurgeon wrote. And in the middle, I didn't bring this out, but it was just a chunk that I found in the middle. And he talks about this idea of public prayer and how even in the church in his time, he said, you know, it's shameful that people are not willing to pray publicly, that they're not willing to sing praise publicly because it literally shows that your pride's more important than God. And he says in there that he would rather have people that are screwing up their words and don't have the right words to say because he's like, you know what? If you don't have words to say, guess who does? The God you're praying to. Is your pride really that big? And I'm not coming down on us. I'm saying, you guys, it's un those are little things in the kingdom of God. Prayer, singing praise to God. Those are tiny things. And we in this church, the church, not our church, the church, have a hard time with that, don't we? You guys go to Africa, I'm telling you, I would encourage you guys, go to another country, go to Africa, man. They are, not only are they singing, they're dancing all around. They're like, wah! It's fun. It's a blessing. They're giving God praise. They don't care. And they're not all great singers. They're not. They're not even all great dancers, but they're giving God their all. It's encouraging. I want our church, I want Great big Calvary, get a hold of God and say, man, God, you are more important than my pride. You're more important than my time, God. 
You're more important than what I'm saving money for. God, you're more important than everything. Does God want you to be just broke and not doing anything but church stuff? No, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying, though, if God and the Holy Spirit is wooing your heart and saying, you need to be a part of this men's group. You need to be a part of this thing that's going on. And yes, it's going to require you to cut something else out of your life. Then you need to be obedient to him. Because it's a gift that God wants to grow in you. And I don't know what that is. You do. And if you don't know, guess who to ask? Not me. God. Right? You get my point? So please don't walk out of here feeling condemned or beat down. I really mean this. You guys, the more we give to God, the more fulfilling our walk here on earth will be. I believe that wholeheartedly. So I'm never coming at you with a hammer and saying, like, you guys are doing A, B, and C. I have no idea what you're doing. That's between you and the Lord to know what's going on in your own heart. But if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, can I just encourage you? You will have a more fulfilling life by just aiming and saying, God, I'm giving it to you. I want to be used by you, Lord. You, your life here will be way more fulfilling. I promise. Verse 36 says this. We see those, you guys, that were around the Israelites gave all that was requested in order for what? For the Jews to worship their God. Remember where all this started? Tat and I, this governor from across the river was like, are they allowed to be doing this? I just want to make sure because I don't think, I don't know if that's how he talked, right? But, but he's like, here's what the deal is. This is what they're doing. What do you think? And now what's that turned into? Hey, Artaxerxes wrote it up there. Ezra gave it to him. You're going to give us stuff to make sure that we can keep doing what we're called to do. It's awesome, you guys. What a testimony of God's hand being upon the people in this moment. Amen? So here's the deal. When those around them that don't even understand what's happening completely are assisting in the work of God, can I just say it's a blessing that God is pouring out on these people. Is that normal? No. We don't see that very much in Scripture. This is a specific time. It's not the norm. We shouldn't chase this type of thing in the world around us. I need us to hear that. Voting in the right people isn't going to get us this. We could have all the wrong people and God could move on those people and get us this too. So I'm also not saying it's a specific person at all. What I'm saying is if God wants to pour out a blessing on a people, he will. And if he doesn't want to do it that way, and there's something that we get to grow and learn in through the process, guess what he's going to do? He's going to do that. In all things, I promise you one thing, his will will be accomplished. Amen? So, God is in charge, you guys. We can rest in that. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, Come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.